1: to be with you this evening. Can we thank the band as they head off? It is so good to be with you this evening. I am excited to share. I've been challenged by this message this week as I have been preparing it. It's bring, brought up some things in my life, and so my prayer is that it would do the same for you this evening. And hey, if you are new with us tonight, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us, and I would just invite you to be open. Uh, what I have to say may or may not be helpful and relevant to your life tonight, but the person that I am talking about, he absolutely is, absolutely is. And he has this way of just getting right to us when we are able to be open to him. So I'd invite you to do that. And let's just see what happens. Uh, I love those photos of people getting baptised on Sunday, how beautiful, if you're here, what a privilege that is to get to witness when people make such an important choice to be baptised and that they go under the water, representing death to their old life, their old self, and they come back out of the water, representing the new life that they have in Jesus. It is beautiful. Uh, But there is this this legend, this story, that no one is quite sure if it's a myth or if it's true but um, it's a story that uh, says that uh, many, many years ago during the Crusades, which were these religious wars, that the Knights Templar, which was a Catholic military order, would have all of their soldiers come to the water to be baptised. And so they, uh, similarly, it's like what we would do, they'd all come down to the water and they would be immersed. But what they would do is when they were baptised, they would take their fighting hand and their sword and they would raise it above their heads like this so that when they weren't underneath the water, it wouldn't be immersed. And when they came back out, it hadn't been immersed. As if to say, all right, God, I will die to every part of myself except this one right? Or as if to say, yes, God, you can have all of me, everything that I am, except this one thing. You can't have this. What happens on the battlefield that is mine? I'm not giving that over to you, and I'm going to do what I will with that. And I wonder, you know, what it might look like if we did that today. People going through the waters of baptism, but holding their wallet above their head you know, or going through the waters of baptism, holding their iPhone above their head, maybe a relationship, a dream, an ideology, you know, their house, a job, a gaming console, a political viewpoint, a life plan, a serving role, a behavior pattern, anything God but this, right? And so the question that I invite you to ask yourself this evening and the question that I'm asking myself is what is more important to you than God? Wow. What is more important to you than God? And there, there is a word from the Bible that we can use to describe these things. And that word is an idol. It's not a word commonly used, I don't think I've heard it in conversation since Australian Idol stopped being a thing, but it is a helpful word and to borrow Tim Keller's definition, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God, anything which absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God does, anything that you seek to gain from what only God can truly give you. So what is more important to you than God? You know, we can very quickly assume that an idol must be a bad thing or a destructive thing, right? And they they can be. But just as much, an idol can be a good thing. Keller, again, the greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and our hopes. So anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. So again, what is more important to you than God? You know, if you are new with us this evening, maybe it's your first time in a church service, you might be thinking, "Uh, what's more important to me than God? God's not on my importance list at all. Um, I get that, totally get that. So for many of us, uh, God, everything, everything is more important to us than God. But maybe you have been following Jesus for years and years and years and years, and he is number one on your importance list and your priority list. You know, maybe you don't consciously prioritise anything, above God but consider this evening you know what would your calendar and your Apple pay and your browser history suggest about what is more important to you than God you know for some of us there are one two five fifty things fighting to push God off of that place of first in our lives because I would never ever say that my job is more important to me than God but I might spend a lot more time directing anxious energy toward it rather than praying about it, right? And I would never ever say that my social relationships are more important to me than God, but I might choose inclusion and acceptance over righteousness and holiness and I would never say that doing whatever I feel like whenever I want to is more important to me than God. But I might get this deep frustration whenever I feel like how God wants me to live is limiting my freedoms. And I would never ever say that my ideas for how my life should look are more important to me than God. But I might revert to bitterness towards him if they don't come to pass. All right scripture is full of examples of our propensity as humans to put up idols and also the consequences that follow. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. God is very straight up. He doesn't beat around the bush. He wants to be number one in our lives. He wants everything. It's not God or it's not God and it's just God. And then everything else comes after that. Psalm 115 verse 8, those who make them, idols, will be like them and so will all who trust them. Ezekiel 14, 4-5, this is what the sovereign Lord says, when any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I the Lord will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have deserted me for their idols meaning that there will come a point in time where God will leave us to the things in our lives that we choose to elevate above him. You know, if you're feeling numb or bored or indifferent to God this evening, maybe think, where do you direct your attention? What do you fill your mind with? 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Or in another translation, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. It's a lot, right? Why does God ask for so much? You know, why does he want all of our hearts? Why does he want all of our attention? Why does he want all of our devotion? Why is a couple of hours every week at Friday night church not enough for him? Well, it's because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And he knows that the very best thing for you and for I is him himself. That's why. <laughs> David Foster Wallace wrote, Pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will never have enough. If you worship beauty and sexual allure, you will feel ugly. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And if you worship intelligence, you will end up feeling stupid. Idolatry is the worship of an unworthy thing, right? Because money is not worthy of being first place in our lives, nor is power. No person or relationship is worthy of that number one position. Ourselves, our pleasure most certainly are not worthy of being first place in our lives. In fact, they're not capable. They will all be crushed under the weight of what that means. Jesus Christ is the only one who is actually deserving of our worship. The shoulders that bore the weight of the cross for us are the only shoulders broad enough to sustain the weight of our worship. He is the only one who can meet the expectations of our deepest desires and our deepest needs. And there is no one that has never been and there will never be anyone in this world who could give of their life with such self-sacrifice and suffering love for all of humanity. You know, he made this choice, this is what he chose. He was God and he chose to be incarnated into a human body to come and live amongst us on the earth and then he went and died this excruciating and humiliating death for us and in our place so that we could be uh, restored to a relationship with God. What amount of money could achieve that, right? What relationship, what accomplishment, what level of fame, what lifestyle? None of the things that we elevate as more important than God, whether we're following Him or not, whether we're doing it intentionally or not, our worth, our worship. Our problem is that even if we understand and accept this, like even if we can get on board with that concept, we still live in this culture that is mostly driven by two questions, right? How do I feel and what do I want? It is very normal to live in pursuit of those things. In fact, it is abnormal to not live in pursuit of those things. And so this concept of God comes before how I feel and God comes before what I want, it is countercultural, it is going against the grain and it is foreign. It is so countercultural, against the grain, foreign to decide I'm going to direct all my emotional energy and my heart and my devotion and my will and my wants only towards Jesus. You know, God coming before what I want and how I feel is so countercultural that even the thought can be a bit offensive. Like, you know, if you're feeling some level of indignation at the stuff that I'm saying and the scriptures I'm reading tonight, I get that because everything about the cultural atmosphere that we breathe tells us the exact opposite. God coming. First, before how I feel and before what I want is so against the grain that we now, uh, for so many of us, the idea of deleting a social media account that is causing us constant comparison, constant anxiety, or causing us to lust, none of which is from God, is an incomprehensible thought that we can't even fathom. God coming before how I feel and before what I want is so foreign that the idea of having a life in which we might not have all of the material and emotional things we want, and we might not experience all of the things that we want to experience, but we are still deeply fulfilled because of the presence of God in our lives each day, can't even compute in our brain. It's like, that, how could that even be a thing? What is more important to you than God? God. There is a somewhat uh, bewildering but very beautiful story in the Bible of a man called Abraham who after a lifetime of walking with God, full of ups and downs, failures, faithfulness, everything in between, was able to say that nothing was more important to him than God. And his story is recorded in Genesis and we'll pick it up late in his life. And uh, he has walked with God and God has told him that God's plan to rescue and bless the whole world is going to be through his family. But uh, Abraham's wife Sarah was barren. They weren't able to have children. uh, But still, God promised them, you're going to have a son. And then 25 years later, they finally have their son. And so we'll pick up the story in Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So this is the son that Abraham had waited 25 years for, right? And God is saying to him, okay, Abraham, Will you give me the one thing that you love most in the world, the very good gift that I myself, God, gave you? Uh, you named him laughter. He's the laughter of your life. He is the faith response to an unmet promise. Will you take him and will you give him to me? Will you trust me when it sounds and looks like I am setting out to destroy the thing you hold most dear for no apparent reason, right? And you know, I can tell you exactly how I would expect Abraham to respond to that. It would be something along the lines of, well, God, like, I know you're good, I know you're loving. There's just no way that sacrificing the kid could be good or loving, so I've misheard you. Let's just put that back on the shelf, you know, chat later. (laughs) But we read what he actually did uh, in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Which is interesting, right? Abraham's doing the thing, but he still seems to think that he's coming back with his son that day. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, father Abraham, father, oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yes, my son, Abraham replied, sorry, I'm a church kid. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. So we see that Abraham's response was instantaneous, unwavering obedience, right? He doesn't even protest. He just saddles up the donkey the next morning, which sounds a little bit like insanity, at least to me. But this is the thing, right? This is not Abraham's first rodeo. He has lived his life with God and he has learned a thing or two by now. But I do wonder what would have been going on in Abraham's head at the time. And we do get to find out much later on in the scripture in Hebrews 11, which is like an account of what has happened. And it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So what does that mean? That means that this is what is going through Abraham's head. All right, God's told me that he's going to give me this son. God has told me that through this son, the seed to bless the whole world is going to to be produced. This son has not yet had any children, and now God is asking me to kill him. Therefore, God must be planning to raise him from the dead, so I am going to give God what he is asking for and trust him to work out the details, right? right. And keep in mind that up until this point, Abraham had no precedent for God raising people from the dead. This has not happened yet in the biblical narrative. So what Abraham is working here wasn't experience of past events, but experience of who God is. He had the belief. Yeah, come on, it's so good. Abraham had the belief that anything was possible except that God would be unfaithful and break his promise. It's amazing. So back to Genesis verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar, and, altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham knew and understood that whilst all good gifts come from God, there is no good gift that is better than God himself. There is nothing, God is the best thing that there is. And Abraham knew that God is faithful and he keeps his promises and he does not lie. We can trust that no matter what God asks us to lay down, to sacrifice, to hand over as a part of following him, we will never come up short in the end, right? And this is all demonstrated, by the way, that everything in that story actually points to Jesus. You know, Jesus was the seed of Abraham that God used to rescue and bless the world. Just as Abraham loved Isaac, God loved his son, Jesus. Just as Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac, God prepared to sacrifice Jesus. Just as uh, Isaac was innocent, Jesus was innocent. Just as God provided a ram in the thicket to be sacrificed, he provided Jesus to be sacrificed for you and for me and for all of humanity. God was not only faithful to Abraham, but he is faithful to us. He's given us Jesus. Yes, he asks for all of our attention, all of our love, all of our affection, all of our devotion, but it's because he knows that he is the very best thing for us. What is more important to you than God? Uh, Example that's a lot more close to home um, when I was 19, I felt this sense of being called to ministry. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. uh, But everyone that I knew who was doing ministry, as I thought, would Care for people, pastor people, preach and teach, and so I just assumed that at some point in time I would also be doing that. And so, a few years later, I was in my early 20s, I was here on staff just helping Pastor Jordan in kids and in youth doing stuff. And I heard some teaching about women preaching and teaching and pastoring that said they shouldn't, and it had argued it in a way that I had never ever heard before, and it argued it in a way that I did not have a response to. I had nothing, and uh, for the first time. Time in my life, I thought, "Oh my goodness, maybe I have had the wrong idea for my whole life, and maybe my desire for ministry is unbiblical, right?" And uh, so I panicked. I panicked because I had become very, very comfortable with this idea in my head of what my life was going to look like if I followed Jesus. I had formed expectations, I had developed dreams, I had been willing to let go of other aspirations to follow what I thought God had for me, and so because of that, on some level, I had developed this entitlement about what my life should look like. I panicked because, well, what else was I supposed to do then? I had built my whole life, everything was about working towards ministry, my work, my study, the extra study I did when I wasn't studying, even my social life, everything was trying to get me to this end, and uh, all of my plans for what I was going to do for God hinged on these ideas and so my response was to shut off the teaching, shut off the idea, shut off the thought process in my mind and just put it away and I put it out of my consciousness and carried on with my life for almost a year, clutching my little idol of ministry with a death grip, right? What is more important to you than God? It was almost a year later and I guess God had matured me in that space of time uh, because the thought came back up again and it re-emerged and I was still scared but this time I prayed, alright God then I need you to help me figure out what's real, figure out what the truth is help me to get to the bottom of this and if I find out that your word says that this is something that I should not do then I will go and do something else. I will go and do something else because what I do for you cannot be more important to me than you. And actually, and actually, God, I don't want anything to be more important to me than you. And I don't want anything to be more important than living by your word. And I meant it. And I went off to the library immediately to study and like figure it out Uh, because I had real, I had realized this. I didn't want a job or a platform or an opportunity that God wasn't in. And I don't want to need or desire or love anything more than I love God Himself. And I don't want to withhold anything from God because if I do that, yes, I get to hold on to my little opinions and my um, ideas, but then I'm actually missing out on the reality of God. And He is good, He is faithful. He might not make sense to my human rationale all the time, but He's the very best thing for me and for you. If He says it, it is the best thing any which way you cut it. Um, I, th- I will just mention, after praying that prayer, things resolved for me very quickly, theologically. I've got a clear conscience tonight that I'm doing the right thing here. Um, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point the point is that I have a propensity to take a good gift from God and make it an idol. Something that I only ever wanted in the first place to do for God somehow had become more important than God himself to me, right? And in hindsight, I'm, I'm grateful for that whole incident because now I know that much as I love my job, much as I love what I get to do, I do not love it more than God. And I would lay it down for him in an instant because he is the best thing for me. He is the best thing for you. Max Lucado writes, when our deepest desire is not the things of God or a favour from God, but God himself, we cross a threshold. So what is more important to you than God? Three thoughts just to tie it all together as we close. And the band can come, but maybe come slowly. Number one, whatever I put before God reveals the need of my heart. You know, we've all got brokenness in us. My unwillingness to let go of a life plan was an indicator of my pride and my insecurity. I had this deep need to achieve. You know, Abraham wasn't always as trusting in God as he was in the story we read. Before Isaac was born, he and his wife took matters into their own hands to try and have a son their own way because they had a deep need for the outcome that they wanted to come to pass. You know, what is it that you need to control? What is it that you need to be okay? What is it that you cannot fathom your life without? What is it that you're medicating from when you don't get the thing or when your life is not going the way you believe it should and you distract and compartmentalise or escape? Anything that we present to God, He can heal. It's who He is. It's even one of His names, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Anything that we bring to Him, He can restore. And in fact, He is the only one that can truly meet the deepest parts of those needs and those, that brokenness inside of us. We just have to bring it. Number two, whatever I must lay down to put God first will be worth it. You know, maybe tonight to put God first, you have to lay down everything. You have to choose to accept Him as not just God, but as your God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. We're about to get that opportunity. But maybe for you tonight, it is, it's a thing. It's a thought pattern or a habit or an expectation, an attitude, a bitterness. Maybe it's an addiction or a relationship or a situationship or a lifestyle. Maybe it's a coping mechanism. The truth is that God asks everything of us. He wants our whole hearts. But as Dallas Willard says, any sacrifice we make on the journey of following Jesus is the bargain of our lives. Because our idols will enslave us and destroy us. He is better. Closeness with God, relationship with Jesus, it is better. The deep contentment that grows over time, it is better. The knowledge that come what may, we have God and He has us is better. Following Jesus will always come at a cost, but and that will never change, but neither will the return of the blessing. And number three, whatever it takes to put God first, I do not walk that alone. You know, our God is not a detached Father. He's not up in heaven going, yes, you there, quit that job that is causing you to compromise and then come see me when it's all sorted out. No, He is deeply involved in every aspect of our hearts and our minds and our lives. And He empowers us through His Holy Spirit to put Him first. That is the beauty of a God who came to the earth as a human. He knows, He understands, He feels, He suffered. And now He's with us as we live our day in, day out lives. Yes, He is asking for our whole hearts, but He is also the one thing that we can actually trust with our hearts. He's the one person who will never leave us or forsake us. Whatever I put before God reveals the need of my heart. Whatever I must lay down to put God first will be worth it. And whatever it takes to put God first, I do not walk it alone. He is good. He is true. He keeps His promises and He is the very best thing for you and for me. Amen. Church, why don't we stand and sing and then Pastor George is going to come.
0: Thank you so much for joining us online today.